Good morning. Welcome to Another Words. I'm your host, Susan Scher. And my guest today is Bob Clendenin. Now, you may not know the name, but he's one of those actors who go, oh, him. Yeah, I know who he is. Your brand, as they call it now, as an actor, yeah. is really the creepy dude. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess it has sort of fallen into that box, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean... Fine, fine by me. Well, that's the thing. Clearly, you can do other stuff. I mean, you can, when you choose to, quite normal. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's so interesting how you end up for, sort of falling into a box and, uh, you know, the, um, the old adage was, oh, you don't want to get typecast, but I think in, especially... In today's market, the um, the ability to sort of know exactly what what purpose you serve can can help um, a lot of uh, particularly like character actors, you know. That that segues beautifully into one of the questions I had planned to ask you. Right. How difficult was it for you to accept the weird guy? You know, it really hasn't been. I'm, I think. Um, there's something to be said for just accepting what, what, who you are and the, and the, um, the beauty of what we all have about a sort of acceptance of who you are and what, what makes you special and unique and, and interesting. As I age, the idea of, of um, being beautiful and is not as, is not, I find people with, um, with character in their face far more interesting and far more um, intriguing to me as a viewer. And so oh, yeah. I embrace it as an actor as well. Yeah, oh yeah, I remember when I finally got that I was not a leading lady, I'm a character actor. Yeah, it's a lot more fun, it's a lot more interesting, um, it's a lot more freeing, mm-hmm. um, but I know that uh, a lot of times, particularly for people as they age, you know, out of the like, leading role categories, it's, that's a tough pill to swallow at first. Uh, yes, I wanted to play the leads. And that's not who I am. I'm the quirky best friend. I'm not as quirky as you tend to be. Earlier in your career, I know you did a lot of other kinds of roles. I mean, you did Shakespeare. You did um, all kinds of stuff. Do you still still, try to? That was the next question. I definitely still try to. It's um, just for my own um, sanity to have Mm -hmm. enough of a variety and to feel that I'm actually um, growing as an actor. I started a theater company with some people probably 20 oh. years ago, and I'm still very active with them and doing a play now, which is oh. not a role that I would normally do, but it was, it's, it's a good opportunity for me to be to actually be the normal straight. I'm playing just a, a normal, decent priest, and it's not a role that I would ever probably get cast in on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally as an actor, it's a nice challenge that, um, that I wouldn't normally get, and I think it's, it's really helpful to me in my other work. Uh, and it keeps me not, um, it keeps me from going a little bit stir-crazy if you feel like the box you're in is too tight. Yeah, I can understand that. Tell me about your theater uh, group. Well, we started in the mid-90s, and there was a bunch of recent grads. And so the six of us started this theater company. It was probably 90, 90, 95 or 96. And we had um, you know, a fair amount of success really early on and still a very strong, one of the stronger L.A., um, they call them Waver Theater Companies. It's a small small house, 99 seats or less. What is the name of oh, your um, company? Uh, Cir- uh, Circle X, the Circle X Theater. Mm. So what are you doing now? So right now we're doing this play called An Undivided Heart. 
um, by Yusuf Toporov. The last play I did with Circle X was this um, remarkable play called Trevor about a woman who raises a chimpanzee, and um, <laughs> it was and the woman was Laurie Metcalf. Oh my! <laughs> um, and she was unbelievable, and that show won. It really swept here in Los Angeles. It won Best New Play, Best Original, Best Small Theater, Best Ensemble. It was really, um, really a remarkable production. The general, the country doesn't know that there's, because they know the the stars, Mm -hmm. Clooney and all those guys. There's a huge section of just these sort of middle class working actors who cobble together a a living generally without a, a day job. You'd never know their names. I ran across a number of very interesting pictures of you. Um, oh, this, <laughs> this what, is why do you do so much drag? I do do a lot of drag, don't I? Yeah. I because, people, I, you know, it's not necessarily that I speak it, but I think a lot of people love to put me in a dress. Probably because you're so tall and so clearly not a woman. <laughs> I think I did a, I did a, uh, there was an episode in Cougar Town where we were recreating, we were Civil War reenactors, and of course I had to have a hoop skirt. Well, not just a hoop skirt, you look like Little Bo Peep. I do, I do, that was elaborate. And I had sprint in it. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. That just brings up such an interesting picture. (laughs) Sprinting in a hoop skirt. Hoop skirts were definitely not built for that. They were not, they were not designed for that. So what about the purple know, skirt? Um, now, which purple skirt is that? What photo is that? Wild West, it looks like. You've got a turquoise oh, bodice. Sure sure sure. sure, sure, sure. Yeah, we were. this was a show called Quick Draw. It was on uh-huh. Hulu. And mm-hmm. we, um, it was a fantastic show. It was a, it was a fully improvised Western. Um, <laughs> the um, creators would write a story outline it would just take us through the plot points of this particular episode, but no dialogue would be written. The picture you're looking at was a particular episode where we went undercover as um, ladies of the night mm-hmm. to uh, infiltrate a, um, a gang that was holed up in the hills. Uh, oh my and gosh. as you can see, we couldn't be a less desirable group of ladies of the night. Well, and the other uh, guy didn't even get boobs. You at least got boobs. I did get some boobs, yeah. Um, and then there's, I see this one, you're in a yellow cardigan, uh, pink flower uh, dress. God, you're right. I, that is, it is a lot. Now that you're starting to lay them out, it's a lot. These are on your uh, website, have, Bob. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and so that was another show called Ten Items or Less um, on oh, yeah. TBS. And, oh, that ties us together. That's a, that was an undercover episode. We were... <laughs> We worked in a supermarket, and I was going undercover to uh, to see if we could catch some shoplifters. One thing you have um, to know, listeners. Like wait, my grandmother, yeah. What one thing you have to know, listeners, is that Bob has a heavy five o'clock shadow. In almost always everything, yeah, yeah. So yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry, you were undercover. So I was undercover, and we were we were looking to bust some shoplifters at the grocery store, and I don't know why I was dressed up as a grandmother. How we justified it, but. You know, because it's funny. You just have to, with comedy, you just got to go, you know what? We're just doing it because it's funny. Yeah. Uh-huh. And what about, uh, now you're not dressed in drag here, but you were dressed in 
uh, 70s clothes, which could be mistaken for drag. They're definitely androgynous. Is that with the blonde wig? Yes, and the yellow, ridiculous bell-bottoms. They're probably polyester, too. That was actually the same show. The same show, 10 items or less, really loved to spend as much of their money on wardrobe budget as they possibly could. So I don't remember. I honestly, that was it was probably ten or fifteen years ago. I don't remember why, how we justified whether it was a flashback sequence, um, or why I was like a Spinal Tap, nineteen seventies mm-hmm. metal, um, again, but it was funny. So yeah, <laughs> you know, it we was. got away with it. Now uh, you're talking about improv. I want to go back to that for a minute. You were in several improv groups, weren't you? I was. I started in college um, with a friend of mine, and I just loved it, you know, and I learned a mm-hmm. huge amount, and I kept doing it. I can see that in your work, because one of the things you do, you're so inventive. There's this one scene where you're directing something, and you're telling people what to do, and you pick something off of your shirt, which is not there. Um, my invisible lint, yeah. Yeah, and, and throw it, and not only toss it off, but watch it fly away. Thank you. That's, very, that's, a, that's a huge compliment. Um, that's very flattering. Uh, but that is sometimes I, why you get cast, isn't it? I, I think so. I think it is, especially why I think why I get recast with a lot of the same people. Like, when that person has worked with you and knows that you can be relied upon to, to you know, help flesh out a script that, or, mm-hmm. or add a couple, you know, a tagline that when they know mm-hmm. that you can be relied on to do that, they're going to be far more um, desirous to work with you again. So like, mm-hmm. you know, like, or I'll start on a, I'll, I'll do an episode of something and it'll then turn into four episodes. Bob is downplaying this, folks. It is quite unusual for the writers and directors and everybody to say, no, I, I want him back. Let's write him in again. Bob is is tossing this off like it's just part of the business, but it's not. It's extraordinary. Uh, Now, I want to go back a little bit, back to school. You were interested in math and engineering. In fact, you have a degree in engineering. I do. uh, That was was what I loved in high school, and I thought I was good at it. Um, Mm -hmm. So it made sense to study it in college. Uh, And so I went into an engineering program um, back here in the States, and um, I just, there was no no real love for it. I don't think I was necessarily mm-hmm. bad at it. I just, without the heart, um, I was never going to be great at it. And I started doing a couple plays because it just seemed like it would be a good diversion. Um, and I fell oh. in love with the people that sort of were in the theater. There could not be less like the engineers that I was surrounded by. You know, engineers <laughs> tend to be a little... A little uptight, a little, um, a little cerebral, and actors, particularly at college, you know, or even high school, you know, they're so full of life and they're impulsive, and um, their parties were great, the, the girls were pretty, mm-hmm. and uh, so it just made. I was like, oh, I kind of want to be with this group more. Yeah. So I, I finished the engineering degree, uh, but I kept doing plays and the improv troupe and stuff, and and I finally got, you know, I got some encouragement from faculty saying, you know, you are good if you want, if this is something you really want to consider, you might want to go to graduate school and get, get some training, which you haven't been able to get, and so that's what I did right after 
college, I went into a, a master's program in acting mm-hmm. and did that. So I never worked as an engineer. When I got to Los Angeles, I had several survival jobs. I spent probably two or three years in Los Angeles before I started working enough that I was able to to leave the survival jobs and, and just make enough from TV and, and commercials. Okay. Well, that's not long. No. I think yeah. in the scheme of things, I was pretty lucky. I think that was, that's a pretty short window. Too often here, people don't give enough. It's like you've got to kind of carve out two, three, yeah. even four years. It's just uh, the wheels turn a little slowly. Well, it's also, this is something I realized really hit me hard a few years back. This profession is one of rejection. Most of the time, time. you're rejected. Almost all the time, at least 50 to 1. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's like when things are going well, you're getting rejected 10 times a week. You know, if things are really bad, you're not getting at all rejected at all a week because you're not auditioning, and it's a and it's a hard thing, especially if you're tying up your sort of self worth in the approval of those decision makers. When the decision keeps being no, it's really hard to not um, take that really personally and uh, and let it upset you. And the truth is, sometimes it's because you're not good enough, but. There are so many reasons why you might not get picked. Sometimes you're too tall. Sometimes your voice is too low or too high. I mean, there are a million reasons why you you might not get cast, and only one of them is that you weren't good enough. But you never know why you weren't cast. You never know. No, they'll they'll never tell you. And you know, there's it's so much of it is completely out of your control. You, the only thing you can control is how how you prepare the material and what you do in the audition mm-hmm. room. And after that, it's it's out of your hands. So to agonize over, well, should I have done this or should I have done that, is really really futile and can end up doing a kind of a head game on you. And what's also true is you will always walk out of an audition knowing the exact way you should have read it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so true. Yeah, if only yeah. I had done this, everything yeah. would be different. This is not mm-hmm. the case. I had a commercial director tell me, kind of admitted to me that, because um, you may or may not know, or your your listeners may not know that, you know, with commercials, which I do, I tend to do a lot of, um, mm-hmm. there are three different heads of this, Hydra. There's the director, but then there's also the client who, mm-hmm. um, you know, is, we're doing the commercial for. And then there's the agency, the ad agency, who are mm-hmm. overseeing the production of this whole thing. So the director is not the top of the um, food chain. You know, it's generally mm-hmm. the client, and then the agency, and then the director. And, so and keep in mind, guys, keep in mind, the client does not know acting. No, and so, very often the agency yeah. really doesn't either. Oh, okay. That I didn't know. But but go ahead. Um, so, but so, so he would tell me that, you know, when you, when you go through the audition process, he would come up with his favorites, you know, his top three or top four actors for each role that he wants. Mm-hmm. And he said, what I do is I put my real number one choice, the one, the guy who I really, really want, I'll put number two or three on my list. Because inevitably what happens is the agency or the client wants to feel that they are 
in creative control and they'll get rid of the number one, the person who's number one on the list. He says, if I put my real favorite at number two or three, they get to feel like they're creatively in control by knocking off number one, and then I still end up with the guy I always wanted in the first place. Wow, that is an amazing insight. Thank you. Yeah, because that is one of the problems, especially, well, exclusively with commercials, I think, is that the client has the final say, and the client does not usually know what it takes to get the mood he's going for. So true. Yeah, it's very frustrating. And so as an actor, as you know, you know, you kind of have to let a lot of what their comments are sort of roll off your back or you have to reinterpret. Mm-hmm. What, do they, what, do, what do they really mean by saying that? Um, yeah. What are they hoping to get? And if you start to think, and this is true not just for commercials but um, for TV and film stuff, if you start to think more like a buyer, um, I think it can help you as an as an actor. If you if you think oh. like if I was if I was the executive producer, what would I need to see in this audition from this person to make me feel like that's a good hire? And mm-hmm. if you start thinking or at least considering that in your sort of preparation, it can end up I think helping you a lot and so and make you not think, take things personally. Like you said earlier, when you give an example, look, I just need to see somebody who I believe could have a a grandchild that's three years old. And so if I know that and I'm going to read in my early 40s, that's, it's out of my hands. I can't, I can't <laughs> control that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have a student who goes through that all the time. She shows up to auditions. She is old enough. She's 61. But she doesn't look it. She looks like she's like maybe 45, maybe 50. But she keeps but showing up. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And losing all these roles, and, and then she's going to start taking this personally unless she realizes, you know what, this is not me. This is, I'm just, I've been branded in the wrong category by my agent because of I was going to say, I told her, yeah, I told her to talk to her agent because yeah. she shouldn't be going on those auditions. Instead of trying to pigeonhole yourself into a box that already exists, figure out what box is right for you, you know, mm-hmm. and who you are. And also, uh, and Tell me if you agree with me on this one. It seems to me if you're going on a commercial audition, make choices as bold as possible. Do whatever comes into your head. Um, Uh, I do agree, agree, but I think that um, actors need to know that what you're not saying is be as big as possible. As much energy, I think, yeah, yeah. Um, Because I think, well, there's there's a, a real tra- um, tendency, and what's um, I think in favor right now is a lot mm-hmm. of very very dry humor and a lot of subtlety. So I think often you can have actors who, in an effort to ha- to have energy in the commercial, end up just being too big, too too yes. large in terms of their facial reactions, their mm-hmm. vocally. It's just too. It just seems too actory and. The last thing that advertisers want now, and this is a big difference from, say, back in the 70s, is they don't want to ever feel that they're watching actors. They don't ever want to feel like they're seeing people act. They want to feel like a camera was just held up to real people and this is an absolute honest depiction. And so I think you need to, well, what's the subtle, what's the, you know, Mm -hmm. where's the nuance? Yeah. Be inventive. And, you know, these things 
that we're talking about for acting listeners are really important for life. Make bold choices. Yeah. So life lessons, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> this is good. I like this. <laughs> okay, well, Bob, thank you so much. I, I just loved having you on today. But this has been really, really delightful. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. And you've been listening to In Other Words. I'm your host, Susan Scher. Thanks for joining us. Join us again. In Bye-bye. In other words. In other words.